0: Conversations surrounding diversity and inclusion have passed through MU Healthcare's front doors. They are sweeping into board meetings and doctor's evaluations, and that's thanks to Nikki Magruder, MU Healthcare's Director of Diversity. Nikki has spent her career promoting intersectionality in the workplace, a passion that has propelled her into her new role at MU Healthcare. And now, amid a seismic summer of protests following the murder of George Floyd and the heightened Black Lives Matter movement, Nikki says it's important to have an open dialogue and conversation about these topics. I'm your host, Gaby Morera de and here's a reporter, Grace Glander, in conversation over Zoom with Nikki Magruder. Welcome to Vox Voice.
1: All right, well, thank you, Nikki, for joining us. Um, you're the NU Healthcare's Director of Diversity. Um, and so, with the first question, um, where are you from and how did you come to Columbia?
2: I am from Peoria, Illinois. Um, but the bulk of my childhood, I grew up in Hannibal, Missouri. Um, but my family moved here in the summer of 1989. I did my undergrad at Columbia College. I always joke with um, students, especially. Um, when I first graduated high school, I went to, to MU, but my major was partying. So, (laughs)
1: um, how long were you at MU? Um,
2: about two years.
1: Did you like it here? Yeah. (laughs) A little too much. Yeah. I like it too. (laughs) So speaking of your career, you started as a recruiter at Edward Jones Investments, um, but your career path shifted to diversity and inclusion work. And so was this a path Mm -hmm. you always envisioned for yourself? Never. (laughs) I don't know
2: that I ever thought that um, this would be where I would end up. Um, But it's interesting because I had a business degree and I remember after graduating with my undergraduate degree, I was like, I have no idea what I'm about to do with this very broad degree where I could go um, in any number of ways. So I ended up enrolling immediately into graduate school, um, um, but ended up finding an opportunity with Edward Jones Investments while I was in grad school, um, pursuing my MBA um, and ended up going to Edward Jones where they had a, a program for recent minority college graduates so that we could explore Um, different aspects of the financial services industry over an 18 month timeframe. So I ended up at Edward Jones. I was licensed as a securities um, advisor. I did a little bit of everything at Edward Jones, but never in a million years would would I have thought that career trajectory would end up with being in diversity and inclusion.
1: Okay, so now as Director of Diversity at MU Healthcare, um, that was created this summer. And um, why do you think that that job was created now?
2: Well, what people don't realize, and I I really think it's important to understand, is MU Healthcare didn't just on a whim decide um, we need to have a diversity, equity, and inclusion director. And I think that's important in light of the environment that we're in. This over the summer, we were at a heightened awareness of race relations in our country. Mm -hmm. um, And several organizations were stepping up, doing things, making plans, making moves, and understanding the importance of having resources dedicated to developing inclusive spaces. Fun fact is that I had been talking with leaders at NU Healthcare since early, oh, goodness, 2019, because I was the keynote for um, an event with the chamber, MU Healthcare was uh, the sponsor of that event. They talked and they heard me talk, and then we met up afterwards, and I was like, oh, my goodness, like, I really want to, to, to work with them. I'm thinking I would love for MU Healthcare to be a corporate partner of the institute, And even my board president was in that same meeting across the room and she was listening to um, the leader. Um, His name is Peter Callan. Peter was talking about the the work that they were doing in the diversity and inclusion space at MU Healthcare. And we were very impressed. And we were like, yes, like he's saying all the right things. We need to work with them. And so I met up with them fully expecting to um, to. To woo MU Healthcare into being a corporate partner. And Peter accepted the, or wanted to meet, and his thoughts were how, how great would it be to get you to work for MU Healthcare? And so we were meeting up, definitely wanting to work together, but we had different ideas in mind. <laughs> um, so we had been in conversation for a long time um, just figuring out how to work best together. I was also talking to my leadership about, because they were my family and they still are. And I'm like, so MU healthcare may one day want someone to lead efforts yeah. in diversity and inclusion. And because they were family and we had done so such great work together for five and a half years, I wanted them to know every conversation that I was having that could woo me away. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Um, So everybody was in the know of this could potentially happen, Um, and it just so happened that the timing was just right, and the timing was necessary this summer to figure it out and make it happen, Um, versus, you know, the conversations and the planning were occurring, but it was time to move, Um, and so here we are.
1: Yeah, I'm glad it worked out that way. Well, then as director of diversity at EMI Healthcare, what do your responsibilities entail? You
2: know, um, the beautiful thing about being the first in a position (laughs) um, is that you kind of plan it out. Like, I feel like we're driving the train a bit. We're laying the track at the same time. We know what we're after, and now we're just trying to figure out how to get there. Um, The ultimate goal is to create an environment of inclusivity where every human being, and I say this in every space that I'm in, like I don't want any human being to walk into a space and be like, oh, this is, you know, especially, you know, when we're talking about a workplace. Yes. um, That's serving a community that um, they want to mirror, right? You want every human being to, to feel like they have a place and belong. Um, so the work that I'm doing is that first month um, specifically was just having conversations, like meeting different leaders, um, uh, talking with our employee resource group um, leaders and figuring out like what were their dreams, what were their hopes, what were the things that were concerning to them um, and kind of getting an idea for, um, what things could look like. So yeah, Nikki has her plan, but I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be our plan, right? So getting input from, from everyone on um, the best way to move things forward. Um, One of my first duties, if you will, being just a couple of months old here, um, was really looking at strategic planning time. So looking at our strategic plan and and helping leadership understand that everything we do, I might lead diversity, equity, inclusion at MU Healthcare, but diversity, equity, inclusion is everybody's responsibility, right? So looking at how we should start looking at even the simplest things, um, the everyday things, through an equity lens. So how can we make sure that if we're talking about patient care, we're always keeping Um, equity top of mind we're talking about quality and safety we're keeping equity top of mind we're creating an inclusive workspace where we're not just saying we're after more women we're after more people of color and more culture and ethnicities but then we haven't created a space where they can be be their authentic selves in it so are they coming in on board and we're saying welcome you're welcome here as long as you act just like i do (laughs) and you think just like i do Um, that's definitely not what we want to do we want to raise awareness around bias and understanding that we all um have it right so even in changing language from we want to be bias free to we want to be bias aware like i would love to be bias free but the reality is i'm an adult i'm well into my adulthood And we have been socialized over the course of our entire lives. We've had lived experiences, things we've heard, things we've seen um, that have us sitting here today um, as biased individuals. Once I make my unconscious bias now aware um, because I've done the assessments, I realize that this is something that is impacting what I think, what I say, what I do. It is an intentional practice every day to mitigate that. So I, you know, I see something, there might be a thought that pops into my, my head, but because now I'm aware that this is an area that I've suffered, I am consciously and intentionally um, doing the work necessary to change it. So I don't know that I'll, I'll ever be free from it, but I'm aware of it and I know that I don't want to operate in any bias that could potentially be doing harm to another human being. So I'm doing my best every day to change my thinking, change my actions, change my activities and all of that. And so even those things in this workspace are um, things that we're working on.
1: Mm-hmm. I like that, um, the part about being aware, I feel like that's important for people to realize. Okay, well then with the healthcare um, specifically, how does diversity and inclusion play a part in that?
2: because we are
1: providing a service, we're providing care
2: to human beings from all walks of life. Um, and I think especially being an academic and um, in- medical institution, right. like we're um, bringing in you know talent students, you know everywhere faculty, um, employees from all over the world. Um, it would behoove us (laughs) to be culturally competent so that we can provide um, an environment where that they're not trying to run away from. Like we're having conversations and I love the culture here. Um, So we're having conversations around um, providing the best patient care. You know, we can't hit everyone's preferences, mind you. But asking, like, you have these options of lotions, like, do you have oily skin? Do you have drier skin? I would have been like, oh my goodness, (laughs) like, you people are amazing, like, I just love it. So it's just like, all of the things that we can do to recognize um, all of the beauty in our differences. Um, and not make people feel othered because of them, mm-hmm. um, and start to normalize humanity and all of our our different, um, all the different gifts and talents and that we bring to the table. For instance, today, and I want to give a shout out to the School of Medicine students for saying, hey, you know, today, Wednesday, October 21st, um, is International Pronouns Day. So they, they've, Talk with us about it for the last couple of weeks about recognizing today as International Pronouns Day and the work that we can do to just normalize pronouns. I was having conversations with, you know, you know how we, we take patients in, like asking them, what are your pronouns? Like so that we can just start to address people how they want to be be addressed. Yeah. Doing things like even in our Zooms and in um, our email signatures, making sure that it's clear um, that these are my pronouns, she, her, her. So when you're addressing me or referring to me in communications, we're in meetings together and you're, you're just, I mean, you're doing it in the right way. We're not othering anyone because of it, because it just becomes normal. It's normalized in our culture. And so we're working on those things. Um, the students spearheaded an effort to get badge buddies. So everyone can put their pronouns right there on their badges. So as we're creating this environment of inclusivity, we're making it easier to do so. Um, so those are you know, some of the things that I'm, I'm really proud of um, with leadership at MU Healthcare. I can tell you even talking with the CEO, he was like, Coming on board, Nikki, I just want you to push us. Like, push us. Obviously, I'm going to do it gently, but there will be nudges. um, And we will get there. Um, We didn't get here overnight to this place where, um, when you think about um, race relations, talking about LGBTQ rights. So it's not going to be overnight that we get to a place of full inclusivity. But there's a willingness um, at MU Healthcare to do the hard work um, to a point where one day it won't be hard work and we won't even have to reference it that way because it's just a part of who we are and the way we do things.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, then what are the most difficult hurdles you faced um, in this role so far?
2: i wouldn't say any hurdles other than um a global pandemic right (laughs) so that's something that we're up against at the height of the pandemic it was a challenge for sure because um you know it was new no one had been here before so trying to figure out like what how we handle this what we do and um just creating a space to also take care of our healthcare employees. So I'm watching all of this take place, yeah. um, and leaders rally together and just try to figure out figure it out figure it out. Um, so that's one. Um, another thing that you know has has come up. So we're really working on um, figuring out how to navigate that and what that's going to. Um, to mean for us, would be the executive order um, that our president has <laughs> a mandated that says that there's uh, no more uh, race and sex-based um, trainings for yep. federal contractors. When it first came out, we had no direction. The Department of Justice sent out some clarification on some terms that were in the executive order probably a couple of weeks later. So that provided a little more direction. But initially it was like, oh my goodness, like what are we gonna do when the panic that, that ensues and um, the wondering if that means that we're not going to be able to move forward with this very important work. Mm-hmm. Um, the Department of Justice did give us some, some frequently asked questions, if you will, um, and some more discussion, a um, uh, more direction rather, as to what we could and could not do. But one of the things was on the questions was, will we have to stop uh, implicit bias training? And I had just rolled out opportunities for employees to participate in implicit bias training. Um, and it does not. It does not say that we have to stop it. Um, and it's not prohibited as long as our goal with the training is to inform, um, to foster discussion, to raise awareness. And it's not about um, accusing anyone of being a certain way as and just because they were born a certain way. So he talks about race and sex, stereotyping and scapegoating. Well, any effective trainer... Um, does not do training in this space like that. <laughs> so um, for that reason, I'm like, oh, okay, well, we'll be okay. We're gonna be okay because that is definitely not the goal. Right. Uh, when we're talking about um, this this work, not, not when I'm doing it anyway. Um, So, you know, obviously it's disheartening. I think initially I spent some time just in silence. Like my family didn't even know, (laughs) like what is going on? But it was like, oh my goodness, like this, this can't be 2020. Um, But at the same time, I think people should understand like he is not alone in his thinking. And he just is in a position of power to do something about it. Um, But I think it's definitely a viewpoint that we have to continue to keep top of mind and have a willingness to have dialogue about it Um, because there are those that um, are so opposed to this work for the very reasons outlined in the executive order. And we need to be able to talk through that and why um, that's a challenge. So, you know, obstacle, but at the end of the day, the work still has to continue.
1: Okay. Well, as director of diversity, you regularly hear stories of racism and sexism in the workplace. Do your personal identities help you in this work or make this work more challenging? First and foremost, I am a Black woman.
2: So... I talked about my my lived experiences and personal experiences in corporate America and the things that I wish I would have known um, prior to going to like my first corporate job. So I wish someone would have told me about microaggressions. I wish someone would have told me about bias. I wish I would have known... Um, how Black women are perceived. I wish there's so many things that I wish I would have known as a young professional entering the workforce for the first time. Right. Um, instead, I was armed with um, a strong uh, parental force. So my mom always telling me I can do, I can be, um, and and so I'm going into it like that. I'm very confident. You know, I'm speaking up in meetings and not realizing that my strength, my confidence was viewed as, um, as almost like, a, a, it, was, it was not perceived very well, right? So there's the persona of the angry black woman. I can remember being told from leaders that I'm too matter of fact in my tone. What some might see as a benefit are being told by leaders that um, they're glad I'm there because I don't talk black and I'll be able to teach other black people not to talk black. So there was a period of time where I felt the need to assimilate. And I was even told by a mentor, if I wanted to excel um, in my career, I was going to have to straighten my hair. And so I did that for the longest time. Um, and even in starting this work in this community six years ago, I straightened my hair and because I was going to be the, a regional manager at the time of diversity and inclusion, but I was going to be going into banks and talking with CEOs and different businesses and about the support of the organization and doing this work. And I felt the need to um, assimilate. So it was part of, I don't, if my hair is going to be a barrier, I don't want that to get in the way, I'm going to change it, but it was part, I don't want to be perceived um, a certain way, so I'm going to change it. Either way it goes, it was bad, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I think about all of the accommodations that I have made um, in order to move things forward, but now I've been, where, I, I remember after about two years of doing this work in this community, I was like, look. I'm tired of straightening my hair. I have proven myself. You know what I'm capable of. You know, I'm a professional woman. At this point, you see now that I am no different. um, And I'm going to be me. Mm -hmm. And I quit assimilating um, and made sure that I was not, I was practicing what I was preaching. Right. And so if my hair was going to be a problem, it wasn't going to be a problem for me. And then let's talk about why you think, um, you know, the way I wear my hair is a problem for you. And so, so we started to have these discussions. When I thought, think about help or hindrance, I don't acknowledge um, a hindrance anymore, but I cannot say um, that I haven't in the past. And I am still very cognizant of the need for white allies. Um, I'm very cognizant of the fact that there are still some spaces where I need a sponsor, right? Someone to say, hey, have you thought about Nikki Magruder?" I do acknowledge the fact that my work has spoken for me. Um, So now that we've broken down the walls of all the preconceived notions, that you had about me as a black woman, we've blown those out of the water and you see what I'm capable of, that I'm professional and I can do great work, then I think that now speaks for itself. But it was not always that way. And so that is why this work is so important to me because now that I'm living in my authenticity, I want others to be able to do the same, whether it be because they're black like me or any, any other person of color, whether they love differently or not at all, <laughs> um, how one expresses themselves. whether I want them to be in an environment where they can talk about their disability without um, shame or being fear, fear, fearful that they won't get opportunities. That's why this work is so important to me because I can tell you those days when I was acting all day um were so tiresome like I would come home and I would be so tired because I had been I hadn't been who I was all day and in essence I was on stage from nine to five or eight to four whatever it was and couldn't be who I was until after yeah so we have to stop no one wants to act anymore like people want to just be who they are and we should be creating the spaces to allow that
1: well, going off of that and then being a mother, how will you be talking to your kids about diversity and inclusion?
2: Oh, my goodness. My kids are talking about it all <laughs> the time. So I ha- I have four kids, but I have two younger ones still at home. And so I have a seventh. She'll be eight, And she's doing a countdown. She's going to be eight on November 1st. And, um, and I have a 12-year-old but this has been their life. So we're always having conversations about um, diversity, inclusion, we're always talking about like my daughter, my 12 year old, she will read anyone that tells her that she shouldn't do this and that because mm-hmm. she's a girl or that she should pick this because it's a girl's color. Like she will get you together really quickly <laughs> because that is that does not exist. And that is gender stereotyping and she has a whole Um, uh, But this is what they live. So this is what they have been exposed to um they've been in protests with me um they're in meetings they've seen me speak um this is their life so they can talk to you um about the importance of this work almost as well as I can
1: wow I'm I love proud that. Of
2: that fact I'm, I'm proud of my little um, my little activist
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome I love that 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 they're involved in
2: oh for sure
1: just are aware too also yeah um i was gonna go back to this one because I thought it could be fun oh so how do you practice self-care when working with the racism and sexism that you have to deal with every day
2: yeah my family and friends would say I'm not good at it and <laughs> I tend to agree most of the time <clears throat> so it, it it's a constant struggle um and, you know, I tell people all the time, you need to really practice self-care, you need to really practice self-care, and then I don't do the best. But what I can do, I tell you, I, I, I do pull away from social media at times, um, just taking breaks, like completely taking it off of my phone. So I'm not inclined to just check it that way. Um, so I do, do, I do that for myself um when I can get a good book I love that um and getting in a book that has nothing to do about social justice equity race you know any of the things yeah um so when I can do that finding a nice podcast and really you know just family nights like I love um just hanging out with with the family and finding a day when we can just binge watch something. Yeah. Um, and just spend time on the couch. Yeah, that's <laughs> we'll comfort food. Yeah. But but yeah, you know, I, I I haven't been the best at it, but I do understand its importance and I do have a goal to do better.
1: Right. All right. Well, last question. Um, if you could give Columbia residents advice, what would it be?
2: Columbia residents, advice, okay. Um, I think
1: one thing would be
2: recognize that um, just because it's important to you or it's been your experience doesn't mean that it's everyone's experience. And those that have had experiences that are different than you, have beliefs different than you, things that are important to you, then that are different to you, then you does not make them the bad one and you the good one or vice versa. Um, we can all have our truth. Um, and and I think recognize that there are some that we're not going to mesh with because our values are so different. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's okay. Um, but we don't have to um, try to silence or diminish anyone else. Um, because they live differently or think differently. That's why I tell people all the time, I can, I can absolutely sit across from someone who I know does not see me as their equal. Right. As long as they have a willingness to hear me and I will do the same for them. Now, if there's a commitment to misunderstanding me, then there's no need. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to engage with anyone with a commitment. like They are committed more um, to their beliefs and their misunderstanding than then hearing me, then there's there's no need to converse. But, you know, I can if there is a willingness to hear. Right. Um, but I would just en- encourage people to, to be um, better humans.
0: That was Nikki Magruder talking with our reporter, Grace Glander. Thank you to Nikki for joining us. And that wraps this episode of Vox Voice. If you want to hear more interviews with prominent Columbia figures, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast service. If you liked this episode, we'd love it if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. Until next time, thank you for listening.